Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark with Charles W. Chuck Bryant and Jerry Rowland. Have we ever said Jerry's last name? Uh, I don't think so. Well, we have now. It's out there. It's on the internet, even. Someone really updated our Wikipedia page. Have you looked lately? Mm-mm. It's robust. It even says uh, their producer, Jerry Jerome Roland. How do they know that? I guess I've said it on the podcast before. I am sure that you have. So how are you doing? I'm great, man. Rainbows. As the, the author points out, they've inspired countless fairy tale songs and legends. Man, I love rainbows. I think rainbows are just fantastic. They're probably the greatest graphic design of all time. <laughs> I just think rainbows are great. Well, it is funny to when you read the different articles, how people, it's kind of corny when they talk about how they delight and astound, but right. darn it, when you see a rainbow, even as a jaded, cynical adult, I can, I, you, there's no way you can't look and just go, oh, that's pretty neat. Yeah. At the very least, you'll go, oh, a rainbow. If somebody says, hey, there's a rainbow over there, you're going to look up. <laughs> I don't care. Have, and if you That's doubt, right. if you doubt a rainbow's ability to astound adults, all you have to do is look up Yosemite Bear's Double Rainbow <laughs> yeah. video, which I watched today. It's pretty, pretty great stuff. All Bear Vasquez. Yeah. Yeah, that guy's. He what was, does it mean? He's so delighted. <laughs> I know what it means. You're on peyote. <laughs> you know, next time someone does see a rainbow and say that, I'm going to test everything and just say so. And I'm going to look. All right. See if they just think I'm dead inside. Let's see what happens. All right. I'm curious to see whether you can not look. Of course I'll look. Um, so, Chuck, the, you, we're not the first to be delighted and amused by rainbows. No. It goes back several years, decades at least. <laughs> yeah, they've been around forever. There, There is a lot of mythology surrounding them because, you know, they're unusual. They don't happen every day. And, uh, well, I guess they depends on where you live. Sure. But it's not necessarily an, a normal occurrence. No, I found that um, the philosopher Descartes, René Descartes, mm-hmm. was the first to describe kind of the modern accurate theory in 1637. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Nice. He's the first one that's like, hey, wait a minute. There's some uh, refraction in, going on here. Right. Well, I, most people usually associate that with Newton. Yeah, well, he... He's the first one to describe the spectrum, right? He was, and apparently, I saw this cool video um, by Philip Ball on The Atlantic mm-hmm. um, w- that basically it, it said that Newton just made up the Roy G. Biv um, spectrum. What do you mean? So the the red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, violet sure. is Newton's interpretation of the rainbow. Before that, all sorts of different cultures had different ideas of what made up a rainbow, how many colors there were, what the colors were. Um, and our interpretation of the rainbow spectrum is a Newtonian invention. And a lot of people say, mm, it's not seven, it's actually six. Indigo, not really there, Uh-oh. Newton. And apparently Newton was trying to shoehorn the rainbow spectrum into the uh, musical octave. So he's he tries he's trying to shoehorn music, the, which has sound yeah. wavelengths, with light, which has wavelengths, and making them one and the same. But history has kind of shown like no, nah, there's six. Yeah, we'll go with six for the rainbow. So Roy G. Biv, which we learned in school. Oh, well, yeah. Apparently, I learned in school. You did too. Oh yeah, yeah, sure. It's just Roy G. Biv. 
Oh, there's no indigo. Yeah. Well, he was busy making his uh, cookies from figs, too. So he had lots of stuff going on. Those are good. Oh, yeah. I, I, I can mound some Fig Newtons. Yeah, because they're good for you. So you can eat the whole bag yeah. in one sitting <laughs> if you want. Yeah, I never buy them. But um, if I see them on like uh, if you give blood or something, they're on a snack table. <laughs> That's when I get my Fig Newton on. Nice, man. <laughs> yeah. So um, Newton wasn't the only one. Before Newton, there was like a whole Celtic legend about the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. There was God saying, more bad, after the great flood and promising it would never happen again <laughs> by showing rainbows come out after rains. Like, it's fine. It's stopping. Yeah. We're not going to flood the earth again. Yeah. Um, of course, you can't find a pot of gold at the end of a rainbow because you cannot go to the end of a rainbow. Yes. You never. You can't go under a rainbow. You can't go over a rainbow. And we'll explain all this why yeah. in just a second. Sure. But first, we're, we have to talk about, to get to the bottom of how rainbows work, which to me I think is awesome. It's one of those things where... Okay, this is how it works. We understand it now. Yeah. I love science stuff like that. Um, Baked in science. Yes. Yeah. Just done. Mm-hmm. It's not like scientists think this is what's happening, and that's probably true, but that right. remains to be seen. This is one of those ones where, like, we know how rainbows work, and here's how. Yeah. But to get to the bottom of rainbows, you we have to understand how light works first. Yeah, and I thought this article, even though there was a lot more digging in to do, mm-hmm. I thought the uh, shopping cart explanation for uh, for the, basically how light travels yeah. was pretty pretty darn good. Fantastic. You know, one reason they say visible spectrum is because the, the light is moving so fast that you can't see it. It's like, and the combination of all those is, is white light, like the sun is white light because all those colors are superimposed on one another. Okay, yeah. But when it hits like a water droplet or something else, it's going to slow down enough, and we'll get to all this, to where you can see those individual uh, parts of the spectrum. Right. And and that, that shopping cart explanation, like you said, it, 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 it definitely simplifies the whole thing, and it's yeah. not quite right, but it does a pretty good job of illustrating the principles that are going on, you know? Yeah. So basically, light is moving at different speeds, depending on what kind of medium uh, it's traveling through. Right. So like I said, when it hits water, it's going to slow down a lot. That's going to change its speed. If you're pushing a shopping cart, the asphalt is the medium. Right. If you push it onto grass, it's going to slow down. That's a new medium. It's a new medium. It's gone, it's transitioned from one media to another. That's right. And if you hit that grass at an angle, and we've probably done this, if you had a, were able to steal a shopping cart as a kid. <laughs> yeah. You were pushing your friends around in it. All right. You're hauling through the, the neighborhood and you hit that grass at an angle and it's going to take a really sharp turn because that front right wheel, let's say, is going to hit the grass and all of a sudden really quickly it's going to be traveling at a much slower speed than the rest of it. And right. your friend's going to tumble out and everyone's going to have a good time. Exactly. Just wear your helmet. So so that imagine that the shopping cart is a photon of light or a, a, a beam of white visible sunlight and the grass is a prism. Yeah. So the parking lot was air, and it was moving through just fine, no problem. But when it hit that prism, it slowed down. Yes. And because it came at an angle, one side of the light hit sooner, and it made it turn. And that is called refraction. The bending of light is refraction. Yeah, and in the case of a rainbow, that prism is a raindrop. So, I mean, this is the simple, quick version. We'll get more detailed. But when it hits that raindrop, it's going to slow down. And it's going to bend. Right. So depending on the um, refractive index, 
which is how much light bends depending on the wavelength. Um, the the wavelength of light, which is another term for color, sure, is going to bend at a different angle. Yeah. So when that visible light, which is all the colors of of the visible spectrum combined, hits a prism and it bends or a raindrop, right? It bends at different angles because the wavelengths are different. Yeah. And so that visible light comes undone into yeah. its component wavelengths, which are all the colors of the rainbow, and they spread out. It's called dispersion. Right. Yeah. And that's it, really. <laughs> uh, but like I said, in this case, we're talking about rain. Uh, and because rain is, um, you know, raindrops are all different shapes and sizes, it's not going to be uh, as consistent as like a prism might be. But it's going to have the same effect. It's going to hit hit the raindrop. It's going to slow down like the uh, wheel digging into the grass of the shopping cart. And it's going to refract and some of it's going to keep going, some of it's going to bounce back, but different the different color is going to bounce at a different angle. And it's all relative to where you are on the ground. Like, no person, two people see the same rainbow. Right. So, um, when, it's all subjective. Right. So when, when light hits the prism and it bends, uh, like you said, because the different lights have different wavelengths, different uh, colors have different wavelengths, um, Red has the longest wavelength, so it bends the least. Yes. Uh, I believe violet has the um, shortest wavelength, so it bends the most. Yeah. But because, again, because of these different uh, wavelengths, they bend differently so that the light spreads apart. And when it exits the prism, it bends again, and it forms that spectrum yeah. of separated light. Yeah. Separated out. And this, if you notice, we keep saying the word bend. That's why a rainbow is an arc instead of uh, like a right angle because the light is bending. So, Chuck, we've been kind of teasing this a little bit, but um, we'll get into exactly how you go from prism to raindrop and hence the rainbow right after this. Right. If you want to see a rainbow, or if you're going to see a rainbow, there need to be three conditions. Uh, the sun's got to be behind you. Big one. You're going to have moisture in front of you. Right. And you, uh, the sun must be shining. That sun, Those sun's rays must be shining at 42 degrees of what's called the anti-solar point, which is basically where the shadow of your head is on the ground. Okay. So if you can see the shadow of your head, that's... That's going to be that 42-degree anti-solar point. Right. So what you do is you put your back directly to the sun, right? Yeah. And then turn 42 degrees, which I guess if it were negative 42 degrees, you'd be turning to the left. So I guess you'd be turning to the right a little bit, about 42 degrees, which you can kind of measure off in your head. It's not quite 45 degrees. And if you're looking at rain and the sun's behind you, yeah, you're going to see where that 42 degrees is because once you hit that point... There's your rainbow. Yeah, but I mean, you can move your body around and still see the rainbow. I mean, it's where the sun is hitting. The sun's got to be hitting it at 42 degrees. I see. Okay, so Chuck, it doesn't matter then where your head is. It's it's the raindrops relation to the sun. 
it is the needs sun's, to be 42 degrees the to sunshine, produce a rainbow. Yeah, the sunshine must be hitting it at 42 degrees. Okay, so let's let's get back to basics again for a second. Um, when the sunlight hits the raindrop, each individual raindrop is acting like a prism, right? That's right. So that visible white light is hitting a raindrop. Yeah. It's hitting it at an angle. It's going kaboom into like a, a colored spectrum yeah. inside the raindrop. Mm-hmm. And then it's going to reflect back again, refract again, yeah. exiting the raindrop. So it bends again. Yeah. And it comes back at you. Right. The thing is, is when you see a light, colored light wavelength from a raindrop, yeah. you're not seeing the whole spectrum. You're not seeing millions of little rainbows. You're seeing one big rainbow. That's right. And the reason why is because each individual raindrop, depending on its relation to you and I guess to the sun, is shooting one color at you. That's right. It's shooting all colors at you, but you're only picking up on one color because there's only one color from a raindrop that is angled correctly to you in your line of sight. Yeah. So that it's the only one you're picking up on is red. That's right. And then all of the raindrops around that raindrop are doing the same thing. They're shooting about in relation to your line of sight. Yeah. Red toward you. But then the raindrops a little lower than that. Right. Are shooting yellow, and then lower than that, green, and so on and so on, and yeah. so you get to violet. And so these groups of rain, these groups of raindrops, are producing this rainbow cumulatively, as far as your line of sight is concerned. Yeah, because the rain is just falling. So where it is in the sky, I mean, as it falls, it's going to be changing color. Right. You know, it's not like frozen in in midair or anything. But it seems like it. But it seems like it. Right. Exactly. Isn't that phenomenal? It really is. I just think that's just as cool as it gets. Yeah, it's super cool. And um, you'll always notice, too, the sky under the rainbow is going to be brighter than out. Mm. And when you've got a double rainbow, which we'll get to, the um, the area between those two is usually really dark. Right. And that's called the... Alexander's Ale- Dark Band? Yeah, Alexander's Band, because he was uh, Alexander Afrio, uh, Aphrodisius was the first dude huh. to describe that. That's like, a great name. Alexander Aphrodisius? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's pretty good. It sounds like a 70s exploitation movie yeah, or something. Totally. Um, but yeah, so the reason why in between the double rainbows you have Alexander's band is because the light there is reflecting away from you. And it, it's, so it's a dark area. Yeah. So uh, the sunlight hitting those raindrops is, is going pew away. Yeah. You're like, oh, it's dark. Inside the rainbow, all of that light is reflecting back to you. Yeah. And you're seeing all of the different colors come at you, and they're recombining into visible light, so there's no color. Right. It's just bright sunlight in the middle. Yeah, and that, you know, sunlight, they also always describe it as white. I mean, sunlight is all the colors. We just, you know, can't see it. Yeah, we should really do a whole um, How Color Works episode. Yeah. It's fascinating stuff. But, yeah, depending on whether you're a painter um, who's mixing chemical color, whether you're a chemist or a physicist, yeah, white is either the presence of all colors or the absence of color. Right. You know? It's kind of mind-blowing. We should totally do How Color Works. Uh, Well, I guess after this break, we'll talk a little bit more about the double rainbow all the way. And even, well, we'll we'll just leave it at that. What does it mean?
So Chuck, you want to talk about double rainbows and what forms them? It's pretty much the same thing, right? Yeah, the the lights refracted twice. Yeah, it's just a double refraction. Yeah, well, what's cool is if you look at a double rainbow, the one on top, the higher one, that's the second refraction. Yes, um, is reversed. So rather than uh, red being on the the top, yeah, it's on the bottom. Yeah, it's, it's a reverse wicked. rainbow. Is what a double rainbow is. And you can have a triple and even a quad. <laughs> nice, but it's rare. Yeah. Like I've seen a little bit of a triple once, I think, um, to where you just see the, the faintest hint of that third one. And if you're seeing that, that means the initial, I think it's called the primary and secondary. Mm. That means your primary is super, super, super sharp. Yeah. To where it looks like it's drawn on the sky, painted on the sky. Nice. And then your secondary is going to be a little more faint than the third one because the triple refraction, you know, it's, it's, it's not the easiest thing to occur in nature. Yeah. And and one of the things that makes a, a, the primary rainbow and then hence the secondary and I guess tertiary and so on rainbows bright is the amount of sunlight and the number of raindrops. Because remember yeah. those raindrops that you're seeing, the, the, the spectrum is made up of light wavelengths that's coming at you from a bunch of different raindrops and they yeah. reinforce one another. And the more they reinforce one another, the brighter the rainbow is. Yeah, and you'll, I mean, I, I feel like I usually see rainbows when it's not raining where I'm standing. Right. But, um, that doesn't matter. It's, you know. Oh, you can be being rained on and still see the rainbow? Well, yeah, but it's like sometimes it's like a super light rain where it has just rained really hard. Maybe mm-hmm. it's tapering off or maybe stopped altogether. Right. But the point is where the rainbow is, it, it's not like I said earlier, you can't drive up to a rainbow. Like, right. I'm going to go up and find that thing. <laughs> Because it's a, it's just a perspective trick, basically. Right. The only, apparently, from this uh, Scientific American article you sent, the only visual information we get from a rainbow is the um, bend of its arc. Yeah, and everything else is what's around it. Right. Uh, right. So, like, if a rainbow seems really huge, yeah, it's because, say, the mountains in the background look small, right? Which makes the rainbow, by contrast, look very big and majestic. Yeah. If we're close to, say, like the mountains or like a cell phone tower or something like that, yeah, the rainbow may look very small by comparison. Yeah, and the way they liken it in that, I think, um, in that article, I think was uh, like the human head. It's like roughly the same size. But if it was right in front of your face, it would block out a whole movie screen. Right. But if it was further away, it would just be like, hey, there's that guy's head. It's the same thing. Same thing. Um, and then Phil Plate, who's a, uh, who does the Bad Astronomer, um, blog for Slate, he did a pretty good explanation of, um, Full circle rainbows. Yeah, I had never ever heard of that until you sent me that. So it makes sense though. It totally does. Yeah. So remember we talked about a rainbow arcing over the sky and sure. it's because the, the light is bent out of the prism. Yeah. Right? Well, no, it's because it starts on one part of the ground and ends on another part <laughs> right. of the ground, right? Where the goal is. Yeah. Um, the reason why it has that arc is because what you're seeing is part of what really is a full circle and it's depending on where you are. Yeah. Now you have a certain amount of raindrops available for to reflect the light to you. Yeah. Right? So when you're on the ground and you're looking up or just over to the horizon, sure. you have a certain amount of raindrops available to you to form a rainbow. Yeah. If you were able to get away from the ground, you have even more raindrops, not just above you, but now below you as well. Yeah. And you can see a full circle that is the actual real rainbow. Yeah. 
So a real a real rainbow, depending on where you are in relation to the ground, is either a part of a circle, an arc, or mm-hmm. a full circle. Yeah, and there was a picture. I mean, he said that pilots see him all the time, mm-hmm. uh, or I guess if you're an astute flyer that's not just like asleep with a black blanket over your face. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> um, you can look out a window of a plane and see one, too, because you're above it. Right. It's pretty neat. I mean, there was a photo of one, and it was like, oh, wow. There's a full circle rainbow. Full circle rainbow. Pretty it looks neat. it looks kind of like a lens flare a little bit, but yeah. it, it's a rainbow lens flare. And um, Phil Plate had in that same uh, blog post a double circle rainbow, which is really neat. Yeah. So go check that out. I agree. That was pretty cool. Um, yeah, you know that thing we were talking about earlier, too, about the perspective? That's why the... Um, I, th- I thought you did a Don't Be Dumb about why the moon looks bigger. Have you done that? No, it's uh, why can you see the moon during the day sometimes? Oh. Why is that? Well, I'll tell you why. Because I saw a, like a one the other day that was like super late in the day. Well, the the reason why, a better question is why can't you see the moon all the time even during the day? Mm-hmm. So it's not, it, the moon's very bright. It's, yeah, yeah. it's the brightest object in the sky, second only to the sun. Sure. But it also gets its light from the sun. Mm -hmm. So most of the time when you can't see the moon during the day, it's because the moon is behind you. Right. So the the light that it's getting from the sun is behind you. Now, if the moon is closer to the sun, Uh like depending on where the moon is in its lunar phase, then you can look up and see the sun and the moon at the same time. It's above the horizon, in other words. Oh, okay. So if if the moon were always visible above the horizon, you'd always be able to see it during the day. Gotcha. And it just has to do with where it is in relation to the sun in the lunar phase. Does that make sense? Yeah. If if it if it's meh, just go watch the Don't Be Dumb on it. Yeah, they call that a bonus, an impromptu bonus. Yeah. But the reason why the moon will look really huge in the sky is because the same thing we we're talking about with the perspective, like the right. the mountain is like so when you're low on the horizon, it's going to look enormous. Right. Um, if there's a lot less stuff, yeah, in near close to you, yeah, it's going to look very big. Yeah, and when I went to uh, Montana years ago. My explanation I got, because you step off the plane and you think, wow, the sky does look bigger. Mm-hmm. Like, what's the deal? They call it big sky country, and it really does look bigger. And the explanation I got from the locals was it's because of the clouds. So, again, it's just a perspective trick. So, like, the mountains are way over there? I think it's just the clouds that they typically get are the big, huge, puffy right. clouds. and um, But they look big in relation to the mountains in the distance, right? Yeah, I think that's the deal. So, it makes, makes the sky appear to look larger. Plus, I, I imagine also there's fewer obstacles and obstructions. Yeah. So, the, it's just there's more sky to see and take in just looking around, right? Yeah, yeah. Like when I lived in Yuma, and you go out in the desert and you can see, like, uh, 180 degrees from horizon to horizon. Right. Um, but, but they don't have the, the cloud formations. Um, so the sky looks bigger in Montana than it does like in the middle of the desert. Yeah. Because most of the time in the desert, you're going to see that, you know, just blue, nothing but blue. Yeah. So there's no, uh, perspective. Nice. You know, like when you take a picture of something to sell on eBay, you put your fist next to it so people know how big it is. <laughs> is that what people do? <laughs> Well, sure. Anytime. I've seen quarters and rulers. Never seen a fist. <laughs> yeah, that's quarters and rulers. That's probably a better rule of thumb. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, so, Chuck, I got a couple other things. Apparently, uh, when you look at a rainbow, it's not uh, a, an even division or an even representation of all the colors. Um, 
you see the most red. It's the most visible. Apparently, 38% of a rainbow is red. Ah. And green is second at 15. Blue is the least um, with at just 11%. What is green? Green is 22%. Okay. 22% of a rainbow, green. Interesting. I wonder what colorblind, we need to do on colorblindness, but it's, um, I looked into the article and it was just sort of started to melt my brain. Yeah. Uh, like all this stuff. So I just said, no, put that on the back burner. I think you did a great job with this. Well, we'll see. I'm sure we'll get stuff wrong. Uh, and lastly, the LGBT rainbow flag designed in 1978 by a guy named Gilbert Baker. Really? And it used to have eight. It had turquoise and hot pink on it before. Yeah. Um, but apparently they ran out of fabric for hot pink because the things <laughs> like started to take off. Uh-huh. Uh, so they discontinued that. And I think the same went for the turquoise one too. Interesting. So they just went with six. And now is it a, is, it's a, uh, it's a shining monument for establishments. Right. For people to say, I want to go in there. And some people to say, I don't want to go in there. Sadly. Right. You know? Yeah. We, uh, I went to a, a gay bar in Philadelphia one afternoon. Um, and I say by accident, not like it was a big deal. Was it the blue oyster? No, no. And it was in the afternoon. So there was just, you know, you know how it is in some bars in the afternoon. It's right. like the, the, the serious regulars are in there. Sure. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Gay, straight, whatever. Yeah. And they were very cool guys. And they were like, uh, and it was a big group of us. And I think they were like, you know, you know, you're in a gay bar, right? And they were kind of pointing that out. And I was like, oh, well, great. Serve me a Bloody Mary then. Right, exactly. <laughs> like, I didn't know if he thought we were, I think he knew we were from out of town. Sure. So he well, was, was like, just to like, yeah, yeah, like, uh, he didn't want any trouble. <laughs> oh, gotcha. <laughs> you know? I was like, we're not like that, my friend. That's good. Just a happy accident. That was a good ending to the rainbow episode. Yeah. Uh, if you want to know more about rainbows, go check out our, uh, article on the site rainbows just type that word into how stuff works go check out that slate post and scientific american in the atlantic some good stuff out there uh and i said search bar i think in there somewhere which means it's time for listener mail that's right i'm gonna call this uh pliny the beer uh and this is from Corey, and i think Corey's in san francisco uh, hey guys, love the podcast. I was listening to Cinnamon today, and there was an exchange about Pliny, and a comment that there was one and only. Uh, I think anyone in the Bay Area would uh, know that there are two Plinies, the Elder and the Younger. Um, that's because one of our local breweries has a beer called Pliny the Elder, which is known by beer aficionados as to, uh, one of the best beers out there. In fact, it sells out weekly from local groceries. They also make, though, a Pliny the Younger which only comes out for two weeks a year. People wait in line for hours just to get a pint. Uh, and there is also a real historical Pliny the Elder and Pliny the Younger, who is his nephew. I didn't realize it was his nephew. And that is from uh, Corey. And I, I did look it up because the two weeks thing, I did not believe it, but I just, you know, sometimes you want to see it with your own eyes. Uh-huh. And, uh, yeah, Pliny the Younger is a triple IPA. Uh, oh, wow, that sounds awesome. <laughs> named for the nephew and adopted son, evidently. And uh, it is pub draft only. They don't even bottle it. Very limited distribution locally, um, and it's seasonal. So for just two weeks a year um, in February. At the Bay of Bengal. You can get it in uh, in a bar, I guess, in San Francisco. Nice. 
And it is a 10.25 percenter. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> As opposed to eight for the uh, elder. Huh. And they're both IPAs? Yeah, one's the the double and the triple. So that Damn, is a um, lot. Yeah, and you can get the Pliny the Elder in the bottles. It's not uh, quite as exclusive. We'll have to try that on our tour. Yeah, I guess only the Elder, unless yeah. someone... Uh, unless we luck out and happen to be there during that two-week period, huh? Well, no, it's in February. We're oh, is that what March. you said? Yeah. But if there's a bar out there that maybe wanted to just say just we're out... A pint, put it under the bar, <laughs> save it for a month for us. We'll be there. I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, if you want to correct us after we get something flagrantly wrong, like we did with the whole Pliny thing, uh, you can tweet to us at SYSK Podcast. You can post it on Facebook.com slash Stuff You Should Know. You can send us an email to StuffPodcast at HowStuffWorks.com. And as always, join us at our home on the web, StuffYouShouldKnow.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 